21CL Radio. Happy Monday morning to you, and welcome to the Education Vanguard. I'm your host, Michael Bowl. Super duper awesome to have you here with us today. And thanks for joining us here at 21st Century Learning on our mission, and that is building communities of learners. Today, I've got a repeat guest. Her name is Louise Favaro. Permit me to say something obvious. Parents are a huge part of our school culture and environment. Sometimes we might feel, depending on the school and the parent, that they have an incredible amount of influence or say about the workings of a school. Maybe they're even a little bit intimidating, especially when they are upset and feel the need to protect their child from something related to school. Today, I welcome back Louise Favreau to discuss the overprotective parent and her framework for helping, dare I say handling, an upset parent looking to rescue their son or daughter. Much of what we talk about today is from one of her two blog posts that she wrote earlier. You can find that blog post at 21c.li slash en. That's 21c.li slash the letter E, letter N. Enjoy the conversation. Louise Favreau, thanks so much for coming back to the program today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. Well, you've got cool stuff to talk about. Last time we talked a little bit about specifically about students. But today we're going to talk more about parents, even uh, overprotective parents. And when we talked before the show, we were talking about why you'd want to talk about something like this. And maybe you could go back and explain why is it important to have a discussion about overprotective parents today? Okay, well, in our last podcast, I talked about how we created this model for helping students. And I've presented this model to, uh, you know, lots of staff and, and professionals. And I always get a lot of questions about parents. But what about the parents? What about the parents? And actually, the parents are a big factor in all of this when you're trying to work with students on any kind of issue or interpersonal issue or behavioral issue. Um, mm-hmm. Because the way that they respond to a child having a difficulty can actually help or make it more complicated. And I find that staff actually are needing and wanting, you know, some guidance as to how to help parents when their child is going through some through something. So, yeah, there's a lot to say, I think, uh, to parents. Do, do, you, uh, do you think parents have a, a lot of power in a school and maybe we're all just a little afraid of them as teachers or even administrators? I think we might be a little bit afraid. Um, They do have power, but they can be very powerful in helping us. And if we all get on the same page, it can be amazing. If we don't get on the same page, it can be really complex. So the power depends on how it's used and harnessed and, you know, how we work with them. All right. Well, you have a story uh, about Zara. Maybe we could uh, go through that story. And that uh, does a nice job of illustrating and giving an example of an overprotective parent and some of the things that you went through. Would you mind uh, relating that story to us again? Okay, so Zara is a student uh, from our secondary school who phoned her mom home, uh, phoned home and spoke to her mom and said she was kicked in the stomach by a boy. And the mom said, come home in a taxi right now. And what is going on at that school? So she kind of employed this parenting strategy of rescue first and uh-huh. ask questions later. And sure enough, Zara went home in a taxi right then and there and got to spend the day at home. And so we investigated and we, we asked all of the students, they were all present, and we found out there was a lot more to the story. She actually did get kicked in the stomach by a boy, but it wasn't as clear and it, or as bad as the way it was presented. She had actually started the whole thing, instigated a situation with this boy uh, verbally, and there was a lot of back and forth between them. And then it got physical when she threw a pillow at him, and he threw something back at her, and it got back and forth. And him being a boy, he was in year eight at the time, kicked her 
in the stomach, but not, uh-huh. it wasn't, they were physical. So they, they were both kind of back and forth physical and just the, the foot hit her stomach. It's not like this boy just walked up out of the blue and kicked her in the stomach and he was immediately remorseful. Um, and we have a policy that if there's anything physical, there's a, you know, there's a consequence. So there was a consequence for him. But this idea that, you know, she was assaulted, which is the way the mother had phrased it and needed right. to go home immediately. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a very big kick. It was a very light thing. Um, we felt there was more to the story that the mom needed to understand so that we could help Zara because Zara had instigated and then claimed the response was bullying. Mm-hmm. So we had a meeting. We talked it all through. We talked about what all the kids said and we left it at that. Um, but then a couple of months later, there was another situation where Zara immediately called home and said all these girls and other few other students were swearing at her and calling her names. And so the mother said, well, come home in a taxi right now. And what's going on at that school? <laughs> Again, so, wait, those are the same words as before, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, every time she would call, she would say, what's going on at that school? As, you know, right. as if to say she's, she's frustrated, she's exasperated, she doesn't understand. Now, in this case, this was a fascinating one because we had video footage. We had a lot of students present, and there was a teacher. She would, This girl, Zara had, the story in the end was that Zara had been really frustrated because she and another girl had, um, had to work through lunch to finish a bulletin board for a, a contest we were running in the school. And so she was frustrated. No other students showed up to help her. Mm-hmm. And these kids carry around these wheelie suitcases rather than backpacks. And so she stormed out of a door with a wheelie suitcase and kept going and rolled over the foot of another girl, kept going. And the girl turned and said, hey, aren't you going to say you're sorry? And we have all the kids that were there as witnesses, and the, we have the video footage. And by the time that Zara got to her classroom teacher, she was bawling. So he had every child who was around to write down what they saw. And he just handed it to me. He didn't even read it. And then the mom came in the next day and said, you know, you better not tell me my child is lying. I think she was worried we were going to present. Because I said to them, I'll keep an open mind because there's more to the story. And she said, what's happening with this school yet again, I bet. Yep. Second time, yeah. Second time, And she said, you better not tell me my child is lying. And I said, she said, because I just ran into the teacher and he said that all those kids wrote it down. And I said, well, let's start with that. And I read one after another after another of, well, Zara said that, you know, they were swearing, but we didn't hear anybody swear. And Zara said they were shouting at her. But so it wasn't the way it was presented. And, sh- and I even showed her still pictures of the video footage that showed there couldn't have been much other than, hey, um, aren't you going to say you're sorry for rolling over my foot? Uh-huh. But given... I guess she might have felt overwhelmed or, you know, I don't know what, just at that one thing, this girl saying, hey, you know, like, what was that? By the time she got to the, to the classroom, she was really emotional, distraught. That's real. Like, she's feeling some emotion. And there's a bit of distortion going on. Are you talking about Zara or are you talking about the mom? Zara. Zara. Yeah, I know, Zara. I know. <laughs> and I'm not saying she's lying, actually. I'm not. I'm saying, look, uh-huh. by the time she's called you, she's so worked up that, you know, this stuff is just bigger in her head. And I showed step by step how this is what actually happened and that the best way to help her is to just, you know, if she calls home is to say, look, I'm really sorry that happened. Let's talk about it later and see what happens a few hours later, what her story is once she's calmed down. Um, let's, let's see how that goes because every time she goes home in a taxi, she's going to want to come home in a taxi because who doesn't want to go home and spend the afternoon with their mom after something's done that's, you know, they've been uncomfortable about. So we talked that through and the mom chipped in and said, actually, with her younger brother, she'll pick on him, pick on him, pick on him. And the minute he stands up to her, she's the one that's Uh emotional about it. And I said, well, you see, there's something here for her. There's a learning here for her. So the third time something happened, which was, you know, a couple of months later, same, you know, Zara called home, uh, crying about all the boys were 
you know, saying things to her. And the mom said, oh, you know, I'm really, she did exactly what I asked her to do. I'm really sorry. We'll talk about it later. And then the mom called and said to me, here's what she said. I'll leave that with you. Oh, I was just so happy that she did that because I thought, great, she gets it. So talk to the kids. It wasn't quite the way it was described. It was really <laughs> simple and very small, something very minor. So then I brought Zara in. I gave her the space and the time and I, and I, cause she's not home now. She didn't run home. And she said, actually, yeah, it wasn't as bad as the way I presented it to my mom. And by the time she got home, she had said, really, it was this instead of that. And so we're helping her actually by having these real discussions. We're helping Zara to see that, you know, your emotion can play into it. Things get a bit crazy. This idea of going home, it sounds great, it feels great, but it isn't helping. We helped the mom, too, because mom didn't want her home every time something happened. So the mom was really happy in the well, end it, that we it were sounded like, It sounded like mom did want, to, at least in the beginning, to always go in and rescue. I mean, and this is something we've talked about before as well. It's, it's, it's hard as a parent. You want to rescue your child, especially it's an the first few times. right? That's, otherwise, you're a bad parent, right? It's an instinct, and you're responding to the vulnerability. And that's really important. But the third time the mom said, I'm really sorry that happened, and we'll talk about it when you get home, that's also responding to the vulnerability. Yeah, okay. So there are various, I mean, so many, there's a range of, of the ways that parents respond, and you don't have to go to the nth degree. You don't have to go, you know, all the way to, I'm going to storm the school and fix this and make this right. And in fact, kids don't want that. We tell our, our parents to have a moderate response because if you under respond with, they come to you with something really important. If you under respond and say, oh, that's nothing, you know, I had lots when I was a kid. Right, right. They'll never, they'll never come to you again and they can't take it anywhere. So they just feel like, oh, I've got nothing now. But if you over-respond, some, some kids don't even want that because you're going to storm the school and other kids are going to get in trouble. And they just, you can't make it too much. So this having, having this moderate response where you respond to their vulnerability, but don't let that instinct kick in to just fix everything and rescue everything. It's better to help your child work through it and, and guide your child to be able to take matters in their own hands to work through it as well, you know? Well, there was an article... So, there was an article that just came out last week. Um, Stan, a Stanford dean wrote about skills every 18-year-old should have by uh -huh. the time they graduate. And I think this is in response to parents trying to fix everything and rescue everything. Um, where are they getting the skills? You know, they, it's funny. They, once in a while, you'll see articles, too, about parents going in, into college, which is probably why this professor, a Stanford guy, wrote yeah. it, is that they're trying to still stick up for their child, even if they're 18 or 20. Yep. So how common is the story of Zara and parents and Zara's uh, mom? Is it... Would you say it's like the majority, just it occasionally happens, or does it maybe it seem bigger than it really is because it's who you run across, or I'm just, how big of an issue is it? I mean, I think, so I've been working in education for about 25 years. I think things are gradually getting worse and that parents are getting more overprotective over time. Um, and so now we have a lot more parents who want to rescue and fix things than we ever had before. Okay. Um, I, when, I, when I do these workshops, I talk about this balance in the middle, whereas on the one side you may have neglectful, neglectful parents that are quite uninvolved, and that's difficult because you can't educate and parent too. But then on the other hand, when you have these overprotective parents who are overinvolved, you really have to bring them along, otherwise you're not helping either. You know, they're, they're not helping. So it's, it's becoming more common to have parents overprotective. And I know this because when I speak about it, everybody's nodding. <laughs> everybody's saying, yeah, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? I think this is, and there are lots, as you said, lots of articles and, you know, even people in university saying, whoa, times have changed. I think it's really prevalent now. 
Now, I wonder why. Like, so back in the when I was young, it was more Darwinian. Your parents just sent you out, and you played all day long. And if you came home alive, then great. If you didn't, then I guess you know you weren't good for society or something. And if I went to my dad and said somebody's picking on me, I'd say, "Well, you should just go hit them." You know, it was more that, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But you don't see that yeah. today anymore. No, uh, I always say that when I was a kid, uh, if you got in trouble at school, you got in trouble at home. Okay, yeah. So and what, what happened? With what changed? And in fact, even they're often judging the school, saying, way that school did that wrong. And there's sort of an assumption of guilt on the school's part as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say exactly. But I think, uh, you know, perhaps it was the whole self-esteem movement in the 80s, which uh-huh. on the one hand isn't a bad thing. But on the other hand, have we taken everything too far? Because where are kids learning to be tough and resilient and, and grit? Um, so, you know, the whole, I mean, things have really changed since we were kids where parents know it's really important to, you know, um, to support your child and to look after their esteem needs, um, as well. But, um, you know, I love this idea that the role of the parent is not to create or produce the perfect child. It's to respond to your child in the moment to their needs. And if we can get away from trying to fix things or create what we feel is the perfect child and ease up on all of that, things will unfold naturally. Um, I, I don't know why it's gotten to the point that it has, but clearly it has. So okay. there's, there's more work that needs to be done, I think, with parents and bringing them back, reining it in a bit. Now, you talked about one of the worst things that uh, a parent could do is to label their child a, a victim. And uh, why is that such a bad thing? Yeah, I find, so in my work with most of these parents that are overprotective, I find they're really quick to assume their child is being bullied when, you know, and we spoke last time about how that word is so overused that most times it's not even that. Uh, But they're quick to rush to blame others when their child has done something wrong, particularly when they don't have all the facts. They defend, they enable, they rescue. And the worst thing is to make their child into a victim because that will stick with the child. So we want a child to be able to say, Yes, this happened to me, but it doesn't define me. So if you use a strong word like victim or a word like assault or violence instead of the child was acting aggressively or behaved aggressively or Mm -hmm. the child is a bully instead of the child displayed bullying behavior, use those very strong, powerful words, they tend to stick more. And a child who has the word victim put on them gets something out of that actually if if they're perceived as a victim and their parents going to protect them they're so young they actually some of them like that like let's not forget zara loved going home mm-hmm. uh, to her mom so we don't want them to fall into that we want to do the opposite we want them to be able to say this happened to me but it doesn't define me in other words i will not be a victim okay now you have a five-step program i don't know if that's the right word for it but five steps that you suggest for helping to manage uh, overprotective parents uh, do mm-hmm. you want to talk about that a bit Sure. I mean, the first thing I think that's really important is to pre-frame par- all your parents in your community ahead of time so that if something comes up later, you can refer back to it. So we have these parent talks. Okay. And funny enough, these overprotective parents always come because they're so involved. Um, but pre-fame- pre-framing parents by having talks where you want to talk about how you handle things in the school, what your philosophy is, uh, and give parents tips for if things come up for their child. Parents love that. Um, But when you do that, when stuff comes up later, you can refer back to it. So, for example, we say, you know, one of the things that we say is don't, is resist the temptation to rescue your child from every single thing, that bad thing, you know, happens to them and don't swoop in and take care of the child's problems for them because this is not remotely how the world works and you're just going to disable them in the long run. We tell them that in a parent talk. 
And then later, if they're over-responding or, you know, picking up something smaller that the child could actually handle themselves, we say, remember that? Remember that talk? <laughs> um, because we want children to feel supported, not enabled. This was something very clear distinction that I made with Zara's mom. Um, we want Zara to feel supported but not enabled. When she comes home in a taxi, you're enabling her behavior. But, you know, when, I, I'm, I'm wondering, though, so you, you say here to resist the temptation to rescue. Is it hard to know when to rescue and when not to? I mean, I, I wouldn't want if my child's running out in front of a car about to get killed, I should certainly, or at least injured, I should at least rescue them. But when do I not rescue them? Like, how do I know, how do I get a sense of when it's appropriate and when it's not? Okay, so the, the most important thing, I think, is to tune in to what your child is saying, uh, their emotional thing that's going on behind that. Uh-huh. Respond to that. And try so, so you want to hear it and listen to the facts and all of that. But you want to be clear about, am I putting my own stuff into this? You know, because you'll get emotional too. And right. that's where the instinct comes in to protect and rescue. So maybe you just take a breath. Maybe you take a moment. Maybe you leave it for a bit and come back to it a little bit later. I mean, if it's something extreme, obviously, and very serious, you go in straight away and say there's an issue. But most things, you can have a pause and you can think about it and reflect and talk to someone or, or ask your child a question a little while later and see if what, now that they've gotten everything out, you know, they might say, ah, it's actually not, you know, I've been hurt. It's not that bad. So it's okay to, um, to take a moment. So you want to respond to your child's needs in the present moment rather than conflate it with your own stuff, your own unmet needs, your reaction to it, their emotional response. You just want to really attune to what's going on for them. Okay, so you talked then, going back to your five steps, the first step you mentioned was pre-framing for parents in advance, sort of the, the mm-hmm. process. Second is re- resisting that temptation to rescue the child, which we just talked about. And then mm-hmm. the third one, which is what I really like, tell, tell us about uh, there's more to the story than we suspected. Yeah, so we even say that to parents in our parent talks. There's usually more to the story. In other words, if you're going to take everything your child says and believe it 100%, you're probably not going to have all the information. Some of it may be distorted. I'm not saying like the child is lying, but it's possible there's more you need to know from the school, from what the school sees, that will help you and help us with your child. So there's often more to the story. In other words, when you come in with something, keep an open mind. This is what I said to Zara's mom when I called her about the second meeting, keep an open mind, which is why she came in saying, you better not tell me my child is lying. And then we talked about the whole story. And in the end, she got it. Um, So keep an open mind. Uh, There's this concept we we talk about called confabulation, which is a lie told honestly, where, you know, if if a child is actually feeling, you know, this is how I feel, they're saying that and they really mean it. What about the facts around it? So we want to look at that. Um, But also I'll ask them what time of day is their child telling you this thing, because if it's in the night, things can get distorted. Even yeah, yeah. for animals, things t- get t- distorded at t- night. Tell us about. Tell me about that. What? Why is that? What's going on with that? Why would okay, it be well, different it, at night? Okay. Well, in the day, we're distracted. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Lots of people around. So we don't tend to think about whatever it is that's bugging us. In the night, we have more time. We tend to ruminate more. And when you ruminate, things can get bigger very quickly. And we know what happens. The mind can take over. Also, we're tired at night, so we lose that capacity for balance and control. So we may not see things as they are. We see them based on this tiredness and and all of that. Um, In the evenings, we do tend to be more alone. Like there are less people even in the household. So we tend to feel more alone. Um, And darkness can amplify those feelings. So 
that's why, you know, people struggling with depression uh, or people who just struggle in general or cutting happens mostly at night, which is compulsive uh-huh. behavior. Because uh-huh. at night, things are, they feel worse than they are. Um, and then in the day, we tend to get perspective. There's that great quote by Dolly Parton, if you're feeling low, don't despair. The sun has a sinking spell every night, but it comes back up every morning. Okay. So ask your child the next day, how do you feel? Sometimes it's a bit different now. A, because they got it out and they were hurt. That's a huge part of it. So if you're responding and overreacting and getting worked up yourself and projecting your stuff into it and bringing your own anguish into it for your child, that's not helping. But if the next day they've already gotten it out and they felt heard and then they look at it, you know, clearly and the sun is up and, you know, they may just have a different perspective and then give you more of the facts and the truth and a more accurate picture. It's actually not that bad. Let's remember Zara by even a few hours later, she was saying, ah, yeah, I, I kind of got carried away in the way that I felt about it and the way that I described it. So <laughs> darkness actually can be a trap for parents because they're tired, their kids are tired. Kids love getting attention from their parents and the main time they get it is at night. Yeah. So they're kind of not yeah. necessarily embellished, but they're going to you know, they, they do tend to get more emotional and they want more and need more from their parents at night. So you've got to be careful of that. So th- that ties into the fourth recommendation, which we've pretty much talked about, which is encouraging parents to have a moderate response. And my knowing that nighttime is going to uh, ramp everything up should help me at least to, to think why I should be a little bit more moderate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the kids don't want that extreme response either way. So it's it's a matter of, well, let's talk about that. And then they feel heard and you're calm. If you're calm, they'll be more calm. If you're projecting your own stuff into it, they won't. Okay. Uh, you know, they, they won't be as calm. They'll sort of get worried and just make it more maybe. So, yeah, this moderate response is the perfect thing to tell parents is, is to not go one way or the other. Even if you're feeling that inside, to be careful about that. I can we want to respond to our own needs, or to the child's needs, not our own needs. I was thinking I can imagine if, from a student's point of view that if I, as a parent, if I'm overreacting, then I'm suddenly as a student feeling I need to take care of my parent who is now overreacting or I'm thinking, oh, gosh, they're so overreacting, I have to build this up to justify their reaction in the first place. Where if they had a moderate yeah. reaction, then I would see them more as the care and they're leading and helping mm-hmm. me out and guiding me. It could be either any of those things. The child becomes parentified. The child needs to embellish more just because this response doesn't match what they're really, you know, the true facts. I mean, it could be any of those things. Um, it could even be the child loves this attention and so continues even to embellish stories because this is the form, the new form of attention that they're getting. It could be any of those factors. So really it's important to stay calm and, and to try to really attune to the child and not let your stuff come into it. Don't project your own things into it. Gotcha. All right. Now, the last one, we talked about this as well a little bit, is using specific and accurate language. Do you find that parents often jump right to bullying and victim, and those words come out right out the gate when they meet with you? Yes. But I find it's kids com- overuse it's so common it, today, parents so. overuse it, teachers overuse it. It's become a generic word, like a cliche that's used for everything. So it almost has no I- meaning anymore. Well, that's why we created 10 words that we teach all of our kids to use to describe most interpersonal things going on. And then we actually, I mean, we do have a bullying policy and there are times where it actually is bullying. So we like to make that clear distinction and this is really important. And so with words, even words like violent, I mean, okay, so we're in an international school in Singapore. I actually don't see violent behavior. Sometimes children behave aggressively. That's different and it's not permanent. It's not who they are. It's what they did. Uh, The word bully assault. I mean, that's really, that, that word didn't fit at all. And 
a victim doesn't fit. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's really important that we use the right language and model and get as accurate as possible. And we ask our parents to do the same. And it's not that hard. You, you tell them and then they do. Um, so it's, it's just a simple thing, actually, that can make a huge difference. And if a child says, oh, I'm being bullied at school, say, well, let's talk about and use our language that we, that, you know, the words we give the kids, you know, um, are you feeling left out or do you feel targeted? Use the language and then you get so specific, it's actually really helpful to help the problem. All right, let's finish up uh, talking then about the online world and what role it has played in all of this, because certainly it has. Yes, I think that for parents, I, w- I would venture a guess that their biggest fear is that something's going to happen to their child online. You know, we get s- so much going on in the media and all of this. I think they're worried, what if my child is bull- bullied online? This, this is a big fear. And so in our parent talks, I actually say, I call it the secret that every parent should know about online behavior. And they have no idea what it is, but they think it's really <laughs> But they'll want to find out, yeah. Your child could, you know, X, Y, and Z. And we talk about, you know, all of the things that could happen. And, of course, you have to be careful and monitor what your child is doing online. But the true secret is that most students, most children, could either be on the sending end or the receiving end of something online um, because it's just so easy to get carried away. So you're worried about your child will be on the receiving end, but your child could actually easily fall into being on the sending end, meaning you've got a few kids, they're all having a, you know, some kind of online chat, they get carried away, they're saying mean things. You know, all this stuff can take over, like they're not seeing a face-to-face reaction or it's, it's not a quality reaction because it's, you know, through a screen or there's diffusion of responsibility because there's so many kids involved, you know, who's uh-huh. to blame, we're all, we're all doing it, or sometimes there's anonymity. And so it's so easy for a, a child just to get carried away and three hours have gone by and they've said all these mean things. And then usually later they look back and go, what was that? Why did I say all that? So many kids I talk to who have written some terrible things online, that's really not who they are and they never do that stuff face to face. And they literally are puzzled and say, I don't even know how I got that far or how I got to this place. Which is why we wanted to make the distinction between this is what you did, but it's not who you are. Now, if it's repeated, that's another issue. But your child could easily get carried away online. And so when we understand that, we have empathy if something is happening to our child because the other child probably got carried away. Most of these kids don't go in intending really to be vicious and mean. It just can happen so easily when we're just firing stuff off without really you know, thinking or getting that face-to-face connection. Gotcha. All right. Well, I've been speaking with Louise Favreau. She's the head of student services at Chatsworth International School in Singapore. And thanks so much for coming back on the show again. Thanks for having me. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com. Hey, everybody. Michael here. Yes, I'm back. And I need to ask you a favor. We are on a drive to get to 100 reviews on iTunes. Can you help us out? If you can please go to the following address, 21c.li slash review. That's 21c.li slash review. That'll take you to our iTunes page. From there, you need to click the blue button that says View in iTunes. And then leave us a review, leave us some stars, maybe even leave us a written review. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Got a question for you. Have you ever wanted to build a website for your classroom, for your school, or maybe even for yourself? Well, I've got a new course for you. It's called Introduction to WordPress, and it'll teach you how to create that first post, add photos and images, create a hyperlink, change your theme, and even more. 
You can check it out all completely free at 21c.li slash courses. That's 21c.li slash courses. Did you hear that S there?